acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. I'd like to turn your attention to our epistle reading. I'll be preaching primarily on that passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is on page 9 in your bulletin. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I was struck, probably many of you were struck by the sad news this week of two prominent people, very high profile people who committed suicide this week. One was the successful fashion designer Kate Spade, and then the other, a famous chef, Anthony Bourdain, who had the travel show on CNN. And it was shocking and and sad to hear that news. One of the articles that I read at the end of reporting this news had a statement from the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention. And it showed that suicide rates have increased by 25% across the United States over a two-decade period ending in 2016. So for two decades ending in 2016, we've seen a rise in the suicide rate, 25%. And these are deaths that are caused by hopelessness. These were people who were at the top of their profession. They had everything the world says you need to have to have a happy life. These are deaths of despair. Some people are calling these kinds of suicides. Deaths of despair. And I was saddened to hear it. And I just want to say right here at this point that if anyone here in this congregation is in a place of despair, in that place of darkness or despair, please Don't suffer alone. Please come and and talk to me. Come and talk to us and we we will help you. We need the body of Christ together when we're in that place of despair. But it's in this context of this this culture where we see this trend. It's in this context that we need to hear afresh a message of hope and proclaim afresh a message of hope, of eternal hope. And this eternal perspective that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us. And that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This perspective of hope that sustains him in times of difficulty and suffering. He's been talking, we preached on this, I preached on this last week. He's been talking about his suffering as an apostle as he carries out his apostolic ministry. And he talks about how he faced despair, but that he did not uh, he did not give up. He was sustained, even though he faced despair, he was sustained. He did not lose heart. And so um, he begins this section of scripture, verse 13, quoting from uh, a psalm, Psalm 116, where the psalmist is talking about he's giving thanks to God for delivering him from death and from suffering. The psalmist was was practically on the edge of the grave and he cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard his cry and delivered him. So Psalm 116, one place goes like this. um, You, O God, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And then the psalmist says, I believed and so I spoke. I believe that there was a God who delivered me from death. And so I'm going to speak about this God. And Paul says at the beginning of this section, we share that same faith. 
The same faith that the psalmist had in a God who can deliver us from death. We have that same hope and that same faith. And with that same spirit of faith, we are going to speak out the hope that God has given us. This perspective that's an eternal perspective. And it's based on what he talks about in verse 14. Why do we have this hope? Why do we have this hope of eternal life? Why can we speak from this place of hope? Well, he says in verse 14, here's the foundation. Here's the basis. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says, will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Why do we believe in eternal life? Why do we have this hope? Well, it's based on what God has done in history, in time, in space, when he raised his son Jesus from the dead. That's the solid foundation of our hope. You know, just like today, there are a lot of theories about the afterlife and what happens after death. And is there hope for beyond this life? Just as today in the first in the first century, in ancient times, there were a lot of different theories and speculations about the afterlife. You had myths uh, about the afterlife, mythical sort of ideas about the afterlife. You had philosophical speculation about the immortality of the soul. But um, but these were just that they were speculation. They were theories. And some people rejected them altogether. The Stoics, a, a school of philosophy, said there is no immortality of the soul. We just have to face up to the fact that this life is all that we have. So there was differences in the first century about this in theories and speculations. And there wasn't a solid basis of hope. And even in Judaism in the first century, there was division within Judaism over the afterlife and hope for the afterlife and hope for bodily resurrection. There was one school and Paul was a member of the school before he met Christ. He was a Pharisee and they believed in bodily resurrection at the end of time. But then there was another school in Judaism, the Sadducees, and they were more rationalistic and they didn't believe in supernatural things and they didn't believe in bodily resurrection. So even within Judaism at this time, there was a tension, there was a division, there wasn't a solid basis for believing in the afterlife or certainly in bodily resurrection. There's no solid basis for that. But as Christians, we do have a solid basis. We have a solid foundation. And that's exactly what Paul is pointing out here. That's what he's speaking to. The same God who raised Christ from the dead will raise us who are in Christ. And we will be with Jesus. I love that line. With Jesus. And with you. We'll be together with Christ and the people of God. That's what... We look forward to that is the Christian hope we will be with Christ and with one another. This is based on what God has already done. I like how Michael Horton, a Christian theologian, talks about the Christian hope. He says the Christian hope is not simply that we are going to be raised bodily to enjoy renewed creation. And that is certainly part of the hope that we have. It's, but it, it, it's not he puts it this way. He says it's not that just that we're going to be raised bodily to enjoy a renewed creation with an endless buffet and bottles of 1928 Bordeaux. That sounds pretty good. But it's, it's not just about that. We will be feasting. But he says we'll be feasting with God. We'll be feasting with God and the people of God. 
And that's what makes all the difference. Because God is the source of all goodness and love. He is, as Michael Horton put it, the white hot source of goodness and love. And our heart longs for fellowship with Him and the people of God. And that's the hope that we have. The hope for the future is based on what God has done in the past in raising His Son, Jesus, from the dead. It's a solid hope. It's a solid hope. I like what Paul goes on and he says in verse 15 that this is, sometimes there's a criticism about Christianity that it's just about being focused on, on the future and focused on heavenly, heaven, heavenly things. And, and then we're no earthly good if we just focus on heavenly things. But I like what Paul adds here as he transitions. In verse 15 he says, For it is all for your sake. This is not just about me, but it's, it's about this hope spreading to other people. It's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We want other people to have this hope. We want other people to experience the grace of God. And that will increase thanksgiving to God and increase the glory of God as people give him thanks. Increase awareness of the glory of God as we thank him for his grace. And that's our mission to extend this grace to more and more people to increase the chorus of thanksgiving and praise to the glory of God. Why does this matter so much? Well, it matters for our future, of course. It's our future hope, but it energizes us now and sustains us now, especially in times of trial and difficulty. Especially as we experience what Paul says in verse 16, he says, so we do not lose heart. We're not going to be discouraged. We have this hope, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our outer self wasting away. Our inner self, though, can be renewed day by day. The outer self he's talking about is his physical, his, his body. And Paul, as he carried out his ministry, we talked about this a little bit last time. He suffered a great deal physically. His body wore down physically. It wasn't just because he was a go getter and he was constantly on the move and he was tired. That was part of it. But he suffered persecution in his body for this faith that he proclaimed. In chapter 11, he talks about this. He gives a catalog of some of his physical suffering. So this is not theoretical discussion for Paul. He talks about being imprisoned, countless beatings, beatings often near death, he says. Get this, five times he says, I was lashed with the 40 strokes minus one. Five times he was lashed with 39 strokes. Imagine the scars on Paul's body. Imagine what he looked like. Imagine what his back must have looked like. Imagine the pain he must have suffered physically. But he says, even though the body wears down, the soul can be strengthened by God day by day. Even though the body wears down, whether it's because of physical problems or just the natural aging process, it does wear down. And yet, Paul says, we can have this inner strength, this renewal in our soul as the body wears down. You know, there's an idea in our, in our, in our day that, um, that says that we're nothing more than our bodies and there is no such thing as the soul. Uh, and the brain is nothing more than a machine, a, a, a kind of computer. There are some theorists today who say that maybe we can build a computer that can 
become self-conscious at some point. Consciousness from matter. But that's the philosophical problem with this idea that we're nothing more than bodies. Because how do you explain consciousness? How do you explain self-consciousness? You know, you take a lump of wood or a stone. uh, They're not conscious. It's It's a physical object. It's not conscious of its being, of itself, right? A stone doesn't have an existential sort of crisis or question. It's just an object. It's just a material thing. So that kind of philosophy, and those philosophers know it, they can't account for consciousness. It's a big problem for them. Scripture says that we're more than body. We are embodied, and the body will be raised to new and everlasting life. But we're more than body. Uh, There's an inner self, a soul that is distinct from the body. And Paul says, even though the outer man is wasting away, wearing down, Even as that's happening, the inner self can be renewed as we put our hope in the promises of God, as we cling to the promises of God, this hope that we have through the resurrection of Christ and the relationship that we have with God. That is an eternal relationship. I was thinking about this idea of as your body wears down, your inner self can be strengthened. I remembered a story that I read about a, a young pastor. Actually, he was a seminarian and he was assigned to go to the state-run nursing home. And um, uh, again, he's, he's green, he's fresh, he's in seminary. This is part of his training. And he met this woman named Mabel. She had been in this nursing home for over 20 years. And she was blind. And she had cancer. And the cancer was was eating her, eating away at her, at her face. Her physical features were difficult to 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 take to look at. And she lived either in a wheelchair, strapped into a wheelchair, or in her bed. And she was in this this condition physically, year after year after year. And she she was so bad in terms of her physical form and appearance. The people who ran the nursing home would assign new people to take care of her. Because they said, if, if you can handle Mabel, then you can handle anything. And so he, this young seminarian, is in the nursing home doing the rounds, and he comes across Mabel strapped in the wheelchair. And she can't see him, but she can hear him, and she perks up as he says something, Hi, how are you doing? I'm so-and-so. And she begins to talk to him, and she gives him a piece of candy. And... Uh, Come to find out, as he would go back week after week, this woman was a woman of deep faith. And she knew the scriptures. He would read the scriptures to her and she would finish them. She had them memorized. And she would sing hymns. And he watched her and she would give candy to residents. And if somebody gave her flowers, she'd want to give flowers to other people. She had this remarkable faith about her. And He said to her, he began to take notes about this woman. He was so struck. And with her with her vibrant spiritual life, he said, Mabel, what what do you do when you're lying here? What do you think about? And she said, I think about Jesus. And he said, well, I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of just thinking about Jesus for five minutes. (laughs) What do you think about Jesus? And she replied, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life. 
Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. What, a, what an example of somebody who physically, the body's wearing down and has suffered a great deal. But internally, there's this life, the life of Christ, the hope of Christ. And that encouraged this pastor, and it's such a challenge and encouragement to us. It's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Though the body, the outer man wears down, we can be renewed day by day. Our inner self can be renewed. And then he says this amazing thing here, this statement in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. This is a very redemptive view of suffering. The light and momentary affliction, you see, he's comparing it like a scale here on one scale is what we go through in this life. And it's compared to eternity. It's light and momentary. And then in eternity, we have the weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. Throw the scale away. There is no comparison. Weight of glory. It's an interesting phrase he he uses there. The the Hebrew term for glory is this, this idea of weight, of weightiness. And God is, when we talk about people having gravitas, a weighty presence, a dignified presence, God is the most weighty. God is the most glorified being. And so it's, a, it's, it's speaking to this encounter with the glory of God, the weightiness of encountering the glory, the goodness, the beauty, the truth of God in eternity. And he says, when you experience this, there's no comparison. But it's not just he's not just saying that, that, that the eternity is going to make up so much for what we suffer here. But he says it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's not just that it's going to far outweigh what we go through here, but it's that the suffering here is somehow fashioning us to experience the weight of glory. God is doing a work in our souls as we go through difficulty, trial and suffering, preparing us to he's shaping something in our souls, let's say, which is going to be filled in a way it's going to have a capacity that it wouldn't have if it hadn't gone through some of the things that we go through now. Understand what I'm saying? I don't know exactly how to explain this, but all I see here is he's saying that this suffering prepares us to experience the weight of glory. Again, amazing, a very redemptive view of the suffering of this life. And as I was thinking about that, and, and maybe I'm veering off here, I think I am veering off a little bit into speculation, but I just thought about the people who suffer a great deal in this life. And the people who suffer a great deal for the cause of Christ in this life. Maybe they will experience something of the glory of God in eternity that we won't be able to experience right away. Maybe it'll take us a thousand years or 10,000 years to catch up to their experience, the experience of the martyrs in heaven, because their soul has been fashioned in such a way by their suffering that they experience a weightiness of the glory of God that is hard for us to comprehend. It's a very redemptive view of suffering. As we go through suffering, we learn about our limits and our weakness and our frailty, and it teaches us to depend upon God and to cling to his promises. It does something to us. And that's redemptive and that's hopeful. And so Paul is admonishing us as we go through difficult times to 
to have that eternal horizon, that eternal perspective and understand that God is doing something in us even now, preparing us for that. And then verse 18, very quickly, he says, now, this is conditional. The sense of living with this this hope, this eternal perspective is conditional on verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As we look to the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen, our culture trains us to fixate on the things that are seen. I just made a list of, as I was driving around this week and listening to one of my favorite radio stations, which is a sports talk radio station, and listening to the ads and just thinking about the sermon and, and what are they promoting and what are they teaching us to fix our minds on. And there was an ad there for getting your summer body. You know, if you buy into this program, you'll lose 10 pounds and you can have your summer body. Uh, there was an ad about motorcycles. If you buy this motorcycle, your life is going to become very exciting and you're going to have friends on the weekend that you can gather with and get this certain motorcycle or buy into this investment. Contact me. I run an investment firm and I can help secure your future, secure your future. You know, and there's a place for that. Obviously, there's a place for that. But that cannot become the ultimate value. That's how our culture teaches us to look at the things that are seen and to put our hope there. We need the body of Christ. We need worship. We need prayer. We need scripture. Study and memorization and meditation like Mabel in the nursing home to keep our minds filled with eternal things. We need one another. We need to come continually to the table of the Lord, which reminds us that we're pilgrims on the way. And this feast that we enjoy today is just a foretaste of something much greater to come. Fix our mind on eternal things. And this hope will, will percolate and will stir within us as we go through this life. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus. It sustains us in suffering and trial. And in this world that focuses on the temporary, let's not take our eyes off of the eternal. Amen. Amen. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus. Help us to trust in the promises that you give us in your word. Stir our hearts with this truth by your Holy Spirit. Today and throughout this week. As we come to the table here in a moment, nourish us with with the hope of forgiveness and everlasting life. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.